0: the Project Zion podcast. This podcast explores the unique spiritual and theological gifts Community of Christ offers for today's world.
1: Hello and welcome to the Project Zion podcast. I'm your host, Carla Long, and today you're listening to Percolating on Faith, and I'm back here with Charmaine and Tony Shavala-Smith, two of my favorite people on the planet. Hello, Tony. Hello, Charmaine.
2: Hi, Carla. Good to be with you. Hi, Carla. Always a
1: pleasure. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about something that sounds super duper duper smart. And after you listen to this, you're going to feel super duper smart because you're going to be able to say a lot of words with a lot of syllables. And I hope that when you talk to your families and friends about it, you can say, I heard this on Project Zion. (laughs) (laughs) Today, we're going to talk more about theodicies, which we actually talked about in a previous podcast, but we're going to go a little bit deeper into it. And I think that that's where we're kind of going to start off at, like, uh, what the heck is a theodicy, Tony and Charmaine? Good,
2: good. That's a really good question, and you may have heard <laughs> of the term tossed around in different settings, but we're going to give you just kind of a general definition of theodicy with the recognition that different theodicies, different theological backgrounds for different theodicies will frame the question differently, but the But this will give you the main idea. So there's really, um, theodicy in general is about, is the question, what is the relationship between God and the suffering and evil that we find in the world? So that's the basic thing. And this is something that almost everybody deals with at some point. Um, If it's their their own personal situation or setting, of suffering or of pain or of evil in their life. Um, where is God in this? How does, how is it that God would allow this to happen at all in, in creation, but what, but also more specifically how, where is God um, if I'm suffering? Um, so that's kind of the, the general question that lots of people deal with personally, but it's also a question that, we deal with when, when we're looking at situations in the world, uh, when we're seeing terrible violence of one nation invading another nation, um, You know, when one person dis- determines that a whole group of people are not valuable and the suffering that happens there. So this is a question that comes up all the time in different ways. And so theodicy is a way to explore that whole question.
3: And I, I suppose we could say that this is a question that comes up primarily for people who are theists. That is, people who believe mm-hmm. in an ultimate power or person, God, uh, who is personal in some way. That's theism. And so if if one if one does not believe in the existence of an ultimate power, ultimate person, God's one, it's they will still have to deal with suffering and evil, but. It's a different kind of problem there.
2: Yeah, because you're not trying to figure out, well, where is God in it? Or how would a, a God let this happen in the first place? So as we look at this question of <clears throat> what is the relationship between God and the suffering and evil found in the world, we kind of think of it as four prongs. Think of it a, as a, a fork. <laughs> there's <laughs> there's four different topics that really, as you start to unravel it, that are all really Important, pertinent to this. And one of them is why are suffering and evil so present in human experience and in the world? So that's the kind of the basic. Why is it even there? The second is why did God create a world in which suffering and evil are possible? So this is starting to tie in the God part. And then, depending on how you answer that last question, then the third prong is what does this say about the nature of God? what kind of a god is this that we're talking about. And then the fourth prong is why doesn't god protect us from evil and suffering? Or a similar question is or where is god when we are suffering?
3: So a, so a theodicy would be a particular theological way of dealing with one or more of those questions. Right? So theodicy isn't the whole of theology, it's an it's a part oh, of it, mm-hmm. but it's you know, it's going to be Uh, How will I construe those different questions and respond to them and try to make sense of them?
2: So we're going to be doing this series, I think, of five different theodicies. And so that we can kind of help you dig into some of the implications of how do you think about these questions that we just mentioned? And um, how does it then affect how you live in the world? So we'll be looking at some of the implications of different theodicies as
3: well. So yes, Carla, there there will be lots of monosyllabic words in these (laughs) (laughs) in these podcasts. But we we hope we hope we will explain them as we use them and maybe find uh uh you know simpler words where we can. I think I should have said poly poly polysyllabic words. We'll look for monosyllabic (laughs) words as we go to to help. So there we go. (laughs) Like oh darn this hurts.
2: Which is where uh, this starts, really.
3: So you know, there's a, a kind of a, it's, we'll call it the trendy way of approaching theodicy. Though it's been around since the 1700s, connected back to the German philosopher Leibniz. But but this is this has uh, been to pose the question in a very specific way, kind of like this: if God can is, I, can
2: I just mm-hmm, say sure. something first? So this is just an example of of a theodicy that people may have heard about, mm-hmm. but it's only one, and it's one that we think is, is full of presuppositions. Uh, so this is so we don't use that as our primary definition or question about theodicies.
3: So that the way that the question gets posed here is if God is all powerful and all-loving, how could an all-loving, all-powerful God allow suffering and evil? It must mean that God is either not all powerful or not all-loving. So that's that's kind of a classic way that the dilemma, well, that this is treated as a dilemma and, and put put forward as a question. Um, but we, Charmaine and I kind of think that the very form of the question is laden with hidden presuppositions and assumptions, right? There's a whole bunch of things built into the question. And, you know, in a contemporary setting, we've seen this again and again and again. This, this old question gets launched at people in a kind of gotcha way, right? Yeah. So, like, like, see, you can't answer that. Mm-hmm. But so we're, that's why we started with a different definition, right? A more, a more neutral definition. To the theodicy question,
2: because this one is assuming that if that uh, if God is all loving, that God um, or all powerful and all loving, that God wouldn't allow there to be any suffering, and that's um, parents know that they can't they can't keep their children from all kinds of suffering and and they may probably and pain even they probably shouldn't actually, um, because they need that mm-hmm. in order to grow and build muscles and, you know, all those kinds of things. So, so right. St- if
1: you want to stagnate their lives, then you want to keep them right. all. Of, I mean, if you want exactly. to do that,
3: yeah. right?
2: I mean, I mean, even the, the body's growing it, you know, there's pain there's growth there's growing pains, um, for children. And so anyhow, so that's one of the presuppositions in that definition is that, um, if God really loved us and was powerful enough, God wouldn't let us suffer
3: and and also shouldn't let us suffer. Yeah. And another theological assumption that's built into the way that question is framed when it's, when it's framed like that is that when we use language for God, like power and love, it means exactly for God, but it means for human beings, which is a mistake. Uh, And it was the great medieval theologian Thomas Aquinas who said, no, that, that, that approach to theological language doesn't work. Because when we say that God is wise, what we're doing is creating an analogy. We have experience with human wisdom, and what we're saying is that God, God's wisdom is like that, but infinitely more. And so, so the best we can do is have an analogy or a metaphor. But But the way the question is posed assumes that power, love, what it would mean for us, to us have
2: power. <laughs>
3: it should mean exactly the same thing for God. And so, in other words, those are some of the, another one of the assumptions that's built into that, the way the question is framed there.
2: But this is, this is a question that comes from a particular theodicy, and we'll be dealing with that one later on in, in our series. Because um, it is, it's a, it is a valid question. It's just that there's a lot of presuppositions. And if you don't unpack them, then you, you get Kind of stuck. We can get stuck, yeah. but that's why we're starting with a more general um, definition of um, what is the relationship between God and the suffering and evil that we find in the world, or that finds us.
3: <laughs> and, and so, and so, the first off, for the first first one, we're going to do is we're going to focus on what's sometimes called the Irenaean theodicy, or the, sometimes it's called the person-making theodicy. And let me just say that. The, the Bible, as a library of books, both Old and New Testament, has different ways of dealing with this question, but there's nothing in the Bible that's like a fully worked out theodicy. And, and so the, the Bible gives different sorts of fragments and pieces and, and questions, and there's arguments in the Bible about the nature of this, no, no final answer. Um, and so theologians over the centuries who have had to deal with the question as we've, we've framed it. They, in their settings, for whatever reasons, have had to try and figure out, how will I use scripture, tradition, experience, and reason to to give some sort of tentative answer to this? And so the first one we're going to do is called the Irenaean, and it's called that because it's named after a man named Irenaeus. (laughs) So Irenaeus lived in the second century.
1: This is one of those um, polysyllabic words I'm really excited to say. Every time I say Irenaean, I think I feel really smart when I say <laughs> that. I just want you to know. And also, you just went right over Leibniz. I mean, he's the father of calculus. Him and Newton are the father of calculus. Of course, I'm excited about him. Continue. Well, that's all I needed to say. I, I didn't know that. He's, a, he's one of the fathers of calculus. Yeah, he came up with it at the same time as Newton did. And Newton is, yeah. And so they came up with this exact same time in
3: like different places. Well, no wonder he was interested in suffering because he created forms of math that make people suffer. So,
1: An Excellent point. Excellent point. OK, please continue
3: on with Irenaean theodicies. By the way, Irenaeus, is, it's a Greek name and it means something like peaceful one. So, so that's, you would even know more about that, that name now, Carlos. So, so um, Irenaeus lived in the second century. He was a bishop in the Christian church in southern France, which was called Gaul. And when I say Bishop second century church, do not think about buildings, structures, people in robes and so on. That's just not yet he's, he's the overseer of the Christian communities that are in, in Southern France. And his, his context really shapes what he sees in terms of how, how he tries to interpret this, this question of where's, where's God in the midst of suffering and evil.
2: And one of the things I think that's helpful is, um, you know, first of all, to say the church is not even a hundred years old. Well, when he's born, uh, Irenaeus, yeah, it's not even on 130, so the church is not even really a hundred, just about a hundred years old. Mm-hmm. So it's still um, it's still forming some of its first theologies, and you know, Irenaeus never wrote a theodicy, but uh, different people have taken some of the things from his writings and kind of use those as building blocks Mm -hmm. to build um, to, to try to describe these insights that Irenaeus had about uh, God's relationship to suffering and evil. And uh, so one of the people in today's
3: 20th century, 20th century.
2: Yeah. yeah, um, Is John Hick who took the Irenaean theodicy and really created something that fit well in his time in some situations and created a theodicy. So I just wanted to to put that out there. First, Mm -hmm. you know, this is happening. Irenaeus is very early in the church Mm -hmm. and he's writing down, he's having to deal with all kinds of um, little fires he's having to put out and develop language to help these brand new Christians understand what it, what is this, what are we saying about this God? What are we saying about Jesus? And how does it uh, affect how we understand our, our suffering and pain? But um, he's also having to deal with particular other religious ideas in that time. And so that's where Tony's going to go. Sorry. Yeah. I just wanted to get no, that background before you went into his
3: background. So what what prompts him to think about this this issue is he's got two crises he's dealing with. Right, the one crisis is a crisis of persecution. So uh, the Roman Empire in Gaul began, you know, locally at least in Gaul, began a really harsh repression of Christians. There are we have actually martyr stories, from that, and, and what the Romans did to Christians is absolutely abysmally horrible. So there's a lot of brutal suffering among people in his congregations. So that's one part of the crisis he's having to deal with. And of course, if you're if you're a if you're a Gentile who's just signed up for this new religion, it's <laughs> built around Jesus, the, Jesus, the, the peace, the peacemaker, and you're being put on a rack and brutally tortured. You're kind of wondering, all right, so what did I sign up for? What, here?
2: Why am I doing <laughs> this? What kind of God is this? Yeah. So that was, my
3: mom would be very mad at me if I signed up for that.
1: My mom would be like, you're getting out of that, honey, you're getting out. <laughs> exactly.
3: So that's, he's got that to deal with, but then he has an internal crisis in the church that's, caused by the presence of a widespread philosophy that takes different forms, but the philosophy is called Gnosticism. And Gnostic, Gnostic ideas focused around something like an answer to the problem of suffering. And the Gnostic answer to the problem of suffering is that, well, the material universe is a mistake, right? it's bad. Yeah. Physical, (laughs) physicality, our bodies, flesh, blood, bodies, all that. That's, that's a mistake. That was not created by a good deity that was created by a bad deity. Right. And so we're, we're stuck in this cosmic mistake. And what the, what the Gnostics then said is the the solution to the problem of suffering is not here. The solution to the problem of suffering is that you, you have to, you have to learn the right stuff, get the right knowledge And that will set free the real you, the real spiritual you, and that will get you ready to, uh, it's like an escape plan from this physical world. And and at death in some Gnostic systems, but already other Gnostic systems in this life, your inner spirit already experiences a kind of unification with this, this other realm. And that frees you from this physical realm, which is, (laughs) <laughs> a, co- a cosmic mud hole, Carla. Right. So, so, so it really
2: makes this sharp distinction between the spiritual or the head knowledge kinds of things, special knowledge, and our physical bodies and our responsibility to each other and the world. It's That's all bad. We don't really need to worry about those things, only about these right ideas.
3: And so Irenaeus, as a, a Christian thinker, says uh, that's unacceptable, actually right? Because within within Christianity, Christianity, that's going to be unacceptable because because, uh, as a Christian who reads the Old Testament in Greek and has, there's no New Testament canon yet, but he has a number of books that will become part of the New Testament. He says the physical, everything, the physical universe, everything is the good creation of a good God. There's not two gods, a good one and a bad one. And physicality is not wrong or bad. It's part of the it's it is the good creation, and so he's going to push back on that, and so, but still he has to come up with a, a different way of talking about. So why, why then, does this life here in this presumably good creation, why is it often so hard and miserable and even uh, painful, um, i.e., in relation to the, the people who are being tortured and martyred by the Romans? So he doesn't, he doesn't create a complete theodicy, but in his masterwork, which is called Against Heresies, <laughs> lovely title, actually the Greek title is much longer, or the Latin title is much longer, but Against Heresies, which is five books long, it's quite long, he in different places articulates uh, potential answers, but kind of building blocks, but not, not every, he doesn't in one place like pull it all together and say, all right, here's the answer and i want to say that generally over the centuries christian theology has been very very careful cautious about saying hey we now have the answer to the problem of suffering um so i think we'll come back to that a little bit in, in a little bit later but but what he has is different he's he's a, a pastoral theologian he's trying to help people who are struggling and suffering make sense of their belief in a good god a good creation and what kind of world is this then and how does god fit into it so he has these different building blocks. And so we, what we've done is, is uh, through a variety of sources, we've got kind of a summary of key points in Irenaeus's Theodicy.
2: So one of them, and we think this one's quite, quite important, is that God originally and intentionally created human beings as imperfect and mature. Think children. You know, we don't start as fully grown and fully mature Individuals and some people never get there, but <laughs> just just mentioning that. Um, but this idea that all of us, whether um, as we as we enter into this relationship with God are imperfect and immature. And so this builds the possibility and actually the necessity of growth into the world and into human life from the start. So that the nature of humanity is. um is growing is a kind of innocence and um, having to to learn new things so that they can survive in the world. So that's the that's really an important thing about mm-hmm. this theodicy is how do they see human human beings and they see them not as bad and willful children trying to you know drive their parents nuts, but also that. <laughs> That would be a different theodicy. <laughs> but this one is that these are children who are trying to find their way and trying to grow into maturity.
3: And so what you're going to hear is that grow, growing and maturing is a real important theme in an Irenaean theodicy. And part of it, another contextual piece, is that Irenaeus is a, a a Greek person, a Greek thinker who's actually a bishop in a Latin part of the world. But as a Greek thinker, he's inherited this long, long, long Greek tradition of paideia education, we get the word pedagogical from it. But paideia was this, this this deep Greek ideal that we we have to educate and train the person through many steps. You know, think think training for the Olympics, kind of like that. Mm-hmm. So the, set, the next point then in uh, an Irenaean theodicy is that Adam and Eve. And now let me pause here. This is a second century person, Irenaeus, and so he would have thought of Adam and Eve as real historical persons. Uh, so. We just have to let him be in the second century, right? But for him, Adam and Eve were children and thus their sin was an act of weakness and vulnerability. It wasn't like high-handed rebellion against God. It's it's It was the mistakes that children would make.
2: It's like, there's a shiny object. <laughs> Let's taste it and see if it's good or not. Yes.
3: <laughs> so um, so it, I think it's really important to note that Irenaeus didn't disregard the idea of sin at all but he didn't interpret Adam and Eve's sin as a fall in the sense that you know it infected everything with kind of like a virus of universal guilt <laughs> that's going to be a, a, a slightly later conception that we will deal with when we get to an Augustinian theodicy but here with Irenaeus it's he doesn't think of the, the fall in those terms it's Adam and Eve had some grown up to do, and they made they made <laughs> they made the kind of mistake a child makes when you say, "Do not touch, touch the cookies." <laughs> All they hear is cookies <laughs> <laughs> and touch. They're very selective <laughs> ears, you know. They are so. So that's that's an, another point in in the Iranian conception of the relationship between God and the evil and suffering of the world.
2: And so, therefore, the purpose of life is that. Finite, immature creatures learn to participate in their own gradual moral and spiritual growth. So it's learning. It's kind of we're learning as we seek God. Um, and, we, and what we're learning is what's morally good, what's good for relationships, uh, what's good for the world. And we also learn how to avoid evil or bad choices. So it's kind of the, that's the purpose of life is to be in this ongoing um, growth uh, trajectory. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah, so this is that educational feel to it all, you know? So the next point then would be that for in an Iranian what's what's needed in order to grow morally and spiritually is an environment in which there's the possibility of choosing between good and evil, right? There has to be real possibilities there. Otherwise, there's no learning that's going to take place. And there's
2: not any real choosing either. People don't have to exercise their thought processes in choosing if there isn't both right. good and and evil
3: choices. Right. So if 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 uh, eating if eating <laughs> fifty brownies at once never did anything to me, I would never learn that it wasn't isn't good to eat fifty brownies at once. Right. So, but that's not the universe we live in, and so. For, for your an um, because God's end goal is that finite creatures learn to freely choose growth uh, towards towards moral perfection in relationship to God. But, well, God is justified in creating a good but imperfect world. Right. So you
2: can't blame God because they're suffering. Right. God, like, God, yeah. That was necessary.
3: God has created a world that's ideal to to create moral growth in people. And so true freedom and that's a really important thing in both Greek theology and in for Irenaeus, true freedom entails the possibility of choosing uh, that which either leads to a mistake or to evil or to suffering. So so uh, the the world as it has been created contains the possibilities that we may choose something other than the moral good with with consequences, but that's part of the learning trajectory for, <laughs> for Irenaeus. Right.
2: Right. And the, and the possibilities for failure can cause then suffering mm. for yourself or others and can be the source of evil as well. So the, the fifth one is that this world is an environment that is conducive to growth, kind of like what Tony was just saying, where there which includes experiences of good and evil of joy and suffering, of success and failure, all of those things, and the idea being that there has to be some contrast in order for people, as finite creatures, to learn to recognize what's a better, what's a better thing, and what's a worse thing. If God only created the world with good, happy choices, uh, then we wouldn't grow in our understanding of what's better and what's worse. And so this world then provides real choices between evil and good. And it it also produces the the consequences that that teach us things, you know, like touching a hot, (laughs) a hot burner will burn us, you know, and that's a consequence. And so existence then is filled with danger and challenge and risk and with the possibility of suffering and evil, as well as that possibility and that Need for growth, so all of this is permitted by God. It's not created to happen to you know. All the suffering is not created by God, and anyway, God is not trying to make us suffer, but God allows us and other people's choices um, to affect where we go with
3: things. So, a a world in which freedom is real for an Iranian theodicy, a world in which freedom is going to be real and not just a facade, has to be a world in which. There are multiple possibilities. Some of them not very good, right? <laughs> so, so the, the next the next part of this, the sixth part, is that um, the world is created in such a way that it includes the process of what later theologians following Irenaeus will, will call person making, right? So, in other words, the formation of ever maturing creatures who directly participate in the process of growth into the likeness of God. So Irenaeus is trying to interpret the book of Genesis, created in the an image and likeness of God. And so one of his interpretative strategies is that the likeness is what we're growing towards, right? We're growing towards the likeness of God. And so we get to participate in that process in Irenaeus's mind. And later theologians have, you know, uh, picked picked up on that. John Hick in particular, has picked up on that and t- developed it quite a bit more. But uh, you know, uh, th- this is Carla. This is why in classes, university classes, we we have tests and quizzes. And why Tony <laughs> says, "Take out a piece of paper, put your name at the top." This this is an opportunity. <laughs> this is an opportunity for you in terror to grow.
1: <laughs> I just thought you'd like to see the look of absolute and abject fear on our faces. I just thought that you enjoyed that.
3: Oh, there's a different reason. Oh, oh.
2: we're trying to be person-making. Yeah, that's sure. it. That's it.
3: We have created this classroom <laughs> experience so that you will grow morally in it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, I don't know if a lot of people buy that, but I, I don't know. <laughs> eh,
2: that's, it's good to question that. So uh, the last of our points, point seven, it's, um, John Hick, so he's the one who developed and expanded this Irenaean theodicy and kind of gave it some relevance in the 20th century and 21st century by saying that only, and I think this is important, only if all free creatures eventually come to that moral perfection that is the image of God, would God be justified in creating a world with the possibilities of suffering and evil. And so I don't know, I I was reading it because I wanted to get all the words right, but there's this implication that what God is wanting is for all creation to come into this ongoing relationship with God and growing into the likeness of God, all of creation. And that that's for Hick, at least, Mm -hmm. um, the primary justification for why God would allow suffering and evil is, um, And with that, there is then this um, emphasis need for a focus on eternal life. So it's obvious to anyone who's noticing that um, some bad people don't get very good (laughs) in this life. Some of them only seem to get more and more awful. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Some, some good people who are trying to grow in their relationship with God get a certain place, but it may be evil or suffering may shorten their life or may make mm-hmm. it very, very difficult for them to keep growing. And so there's this sense that there has to be an afterlife in order for this continual growing to, to happen. And so Hick argues that eternal life is a necessary component since so many uh, people have limited opportunities in this life or have tragic events Mm -hmm. that affect them or evil choices, theirs or others have turned their life into such in such a, a direction that they can't, they can't hear that invitation to grow. And so there's there will there is and will be opportunity to learn and grow in future in the future lives, um, and that that may include successive worlds, so different places into the future beyond
3: this life. Of course, he's speculating there, but he's he's trying to he's trying to extend out from this. If if God is a God of love, and God but God is also concerned that we learn how to grow morally
2: by free choice. By choices.
3: free choice, then uh, Hick is arguing that. God, God would have created a, a situation in which there's
2: ongoing,
3: f- ongoing possibilities yeah. for that. So, yeah. so that's kind of a quick overview of a Irenaean theodicy. I mean, we what we've done is we've you know, condensed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hick's book alone, "Evil and the God of Love," is a big, fat, four hundred page book, which is which is really quite worth quite worth reading, um, but anyway this is this is a perspective right this is a way that certain theological traditions have tried to deal with the problem of what's the relationship between God and the, the the bad things that have happened to me to my family to the people in our congregation to people in our city how do we how do we hold all this together how do we how do we it just sense yeah, it. make sense of it? how do we justify our own belief in a God of love when these things are happening? And so uh Irenaeus and Hick have given kind of one one approach to it. And and uh the I, I what we want to do next is we want to say, okay, well, how what is how does how could this play out, right? What what are how some, is this useful? Yeah, why are it? you? That listening? is my exact
1: question. <laughs> like I think it's really cool to understand those kinds of things and just hear those kinds of things, but Like, how is this practical to my life? Like, how can I say the word Irenaean in some um, conversation and sound smart and then let it be practical knowledge as well? So how does this affect my life knowing all this?
2: Right. So there's a couple of ways. And one is the simple application. So, you know, when we find ourselves in the midst of suffering and, and, or evil or loss or any of those things, we can say, okay, I don't have to be angry at God. I don't have to feel like somehow I'm entitled to have an easy life. And if something bad has happened, then God has failed or that I'm being punished or whatever. So it's on a personal level, it -hmm. gives us some options to think about why is it that I'm in the midst of suffering or, or Mm -hmm. there's evil going on that's affecting me. So that's the first part, but the, the, the second part, and this would be the place where you get to use the word Irenaean
3: more, would be. <laughs> well, it, like, how do you how do you preach this, right? How how might this, in, in ministry, how would you use it, the concepts of an Irenaean theology in preaching? And so uh, I'll start by saying that, well, we don't preach theodicies, right? <laughs> right. They, the pulpit is not a place where we lecture about different kinds of theodicies. Um, at least per se, we don't do that. But You know, because you're going to have people sitting there in the congregation who are in the midst. Oh, my gosh, they're going to be dealing with immense pain or loss or struggle, horrible stuff. And so the pulpit's not (laughs) the pulpit can't be the place for uh, the theoretical theological (laughs) elixir. That's that's, (laughs) going to fix it all. Just 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 drink three drops of this theodicy and you'll feel better. (laughs) No, it's not. It's not what it's it's not. It's not how we use this this aspect of theology, but. But on the other hand themes themes from an Irenaean theodicy could be helpful illustrations in a in a sermon uh, on discipleship right uh, discipleship as a life that seeks spiritual growth and maturing well there's a lot of stuff from an Irenaean theodicy that would be appropriate right that would say here's 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 how this fits in this setting and
2: particularly when you're reading or using passages from the gospels where the disciples really like are kind of dense and don't get it most of the time. And it, so it's like, Oh, okay. This is why Jesus could be patient with them. Some, most of the time, um, <laughs> not always, but, but it would fit very well for that kind of a, an understanding of ourselves as disciples.
3: And I think a, a, a big picture item here is that an Iranian theodicy conceives of God in a generous way. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's really helpful in personal spirituality, in corporate spirituality, in church life, in preaching. How generous is the God you imagine, right? And so an Irenaean theodicy at least does that, imagines God is really, really ultra generous and wanting every creature, even the most horribly wretched, to ultimately choose freely in some fashion uh, moral improvement and to become closer to the image of God. But now, um, you know, what let's say here's another way you could, you can use a near name theodicy in, in preaching. Let's say you have a specific lectionary text that's really well suited to this. And here's an example. This is Romans chapter five, one through five, which reads, therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy spirit that has been given to us, right? That's the quote. Let's assume that's a lectionary text. And it's a lectionary text that, that the worship helps are built around and you cannot evade this text. You you don't get (laughs) to pick another one. This is the text you must preach on. Well, so, uh, an Irenaean theodicy might be helpful for elucidating uh, Paul's insights on suffering in, in, this, in this text. I mean, and you can go into Paul's own life. Paul had plenty of suffering. Um, and yet he, he uh, through the Holy Spirit, through God, the Holy Spirit, uh, is learning how to let the suffering become uh, educational for him in some way. So, there, I mean, there, it depends on the text you have, but you can, you might find good ways to let an Irenaean theme uh, illustrate a text. Um, also, a theme from this theodicy might illuminate some aspect of your own experience of suffering, whatever that is. And that could be shared in a testimony of some sort that, that may be an illustration in a sermon. You know, for, for example, something like, you know, this experience I went through was really painful, and in no sense was it God's will, but through it, God helped me, so I was able to learn this, this, or this. That would be Irenaean, in a sense, right? And so that, that, could, that could be a sensible and thoughtful way to use this. Um, now, we have to be aware that the Irenaean theodicy, like all of them, has inherent weaknesses, So, lots of theologians have noted that uh, an Iranian theodicy does not vigorously call people to work in eradicating suffering in the world, right? So, or to fight against social injustice and evils that that keep people experiencing pain and suffering. Um, So, there are there are limits to how far an Iranian theodicy can go, how far it can take us there. there are things it can do and lots of things it can't do. Um, this one in particular, I mean, you, you'd want to be very careful using this one in different contexts. Uh, you This one could be treated as, as somehow minimizing like massive, horrifying evil, like the Holocaust. Um, what, I mean, that's, that's beyond learning stuff, right? right. You know, I might... I can learn stuff from, you know, I can learn stuff from burning my finger on a hot stove. But I can think of nothing to be learned from Jewish children being burned in ovens. And so there's real limits to what this theodicy can do in terms of social and environmental good. It it, it has a particular focus. And in that particular focus, it works okay. But it's not, you know, no theodicy is the good news. These are
2: Jesus. Jesus is the good news. Right, right. And, and a
3: theod- theodicy is a construct. It's a way to try and say, I want to believe in God. At the same time, I want to be able to deal with the horrific evil I see going on in the world or around me or the, the suffering I've had to deal with. Right. So you just have to keep reminding yourself that a theodicy is not the message of the church. A Theodicy is a particular way to to deal with this real human problem of suffering while at the same time holding faith in God. Um, the final thing with, with an Irenaean theodicy is that uh, in Irenaeus himself, in his, his conception of the Trinity, and again, this is the second century, so it's the Trinity, Trinitarian doctrine's not worked out fully yet, but, but he thinks of the Son, S-O-N, or word, Logos, and the Spirit as the two hands of God. Right, so... God, he, he thinks of God as a triad, Father, Son, and Spirit. But his way of picturing it is that the Son is one hand and the Spirit is the other hand of God. And so I think there's some, there, some, of, that, some of that could preach, right? Um, in, a time, in a time of struggle, what if we imagine God reaching out two hands to us to help us through it? Sim- simple way you could use your, uh, an Irenaean understanding of God in a situation of, of suffering and struggle.
2: And a specific one, you know, if you're working with the idea of of us being like children uh, is about a child learning to walk. And how do you do that? But you put your hands out so that they can take them. And so the idea of Jesus and the Holy Spirit as being God's hands, it's a really beautiful little image to to think about our times when we fall or our times when when we trip. Or those times where we're just too tired to, to move forward. Um, so that's some really some nice Or those times images. when I shouldn't
3: have spoken my mind so, so freely in a meeting. And, and, the <laughs> and two, there were repercussions. The two, right. no. And the two hands are not reaching out to help me. They're reaching out to, shh, shh. what were you thinking, Tony? <laughs> oh,
2: my goodness. So another, I think, practical way that we can think about these theodicies is how do they pray? How do we let them guide us in our prayer? Or what might it it look or feel like to let this theodicy be part of our prayer? So I just have a few like starter lines that might be part or the beginning or a part of a prayer that comes, um, that uses this Irenaean theodicy as a, a starting point for knowing who God is and who we are. So here's here's one. God I know that you were with Jesus in his suffering, perhaps even when he could not feel you near. Please be with me in my time of fear and suffering. And that's one of those parts of this theodicy is it points back to the fact that Jesus suffered. Um, and so it's not that that suffering is bad necessarily and that God is there with us. And so That that's where that one came from. Another, uh, God, you did not cause the evil or pain or suffering I'm experiencing, but please help me endure it and to see how I can grow from it. Help me not to harden my heart or learn hate, but instead trust your goodness to expand in my reactions to it. Um, Another, in so many ways, God, I feel like a child just beginning to learn who you are and what you invite me to do or think or believe in this life. And then you can go on from there. Um, God, please help me use this situation to see people and the world more clearly so that I can choose my steps more wisely in the future. Another, I can see that my decisions and mistakes are causing me and others great pain. Thank you, God, for assuring me that like a loving parent, You have forgiven me and want me to learn a better way of living in this world. And then another, God, in this terrible situation, there is no justice. I thank you for the assurance that in this life or the next, I or those harmed may find healing. And those who are bringing harm will find forgiveness and ways to know that you love, that your love, um, to know your love, and to grow into it. Um, Another, in this life and its struggles, please take my hand and help me find paths and places where I can grow in compassion, love, and forgiveness. And just a couple more. My ability to always see and know the good is limited, God. I ask your spirit to help me see, know, and choose good. And then the last one. Jesus, you showed us how to stay connected to God's love, even in the midst and of the evil and suffering you endured endured from the Romans, and when your own friends deserted you. Jesus, help me find that love and that willingness to understand others, even in the midst of my hurt. So different ways that this theodicy might shape how we pray.
3: And I think it's really important for us to be able to say we, 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 we want theology at its best ought to be able to help us to preach, to pray and to live the life of discipleship, uh, to give us tools for that. So we will do that with each of the theodicies we cover just to see, see where it could take us in preaching, see where it can take us in praying in, in
2: positive
1: ways. In positive <laughs> ways. <laughs> so I have a question that, um, I don't know if it's a great question or not a great question, but, you know, I grew up uh, on a 40 acre farm in Kansas and I had amazing parents and amazing life. I got to run all around and do whatever I wanted to on our acre worth of land. And I had a really, really great childhood and a really great adulthood so far. Hopefully that's going to continue. And sometimes I feel really far removed from what you're talking about, the suffering that you're talking about, because I I don't think I've ever suffered. I mean, I, I've had hard times. Everyone has hard times. There's no doubt. And I'm sure that people that I know who have lived a life that I've lived have all have definitely suffered. I know that that happens, but sometimes I just feel so far removed from that. You know, like, I don't really think I understand actually what suffering is, you know? So I don't know if there's a question in that or not a question in
2: that, but. No, I think, I think it, there's so many implications for that because, It's pretty easy in our culture and probably all cultures where there are some people um, who, because of their heritage or the color of their skin or their socioeconomics status within the culture are, have less suffering. Um, And unfortunately, those who have not had deep suffering can feel superior and can buy into that uh, theology that, well, if you're good with God, then your life should be comfortable. And that's, I think, a huge danger in any society is that for people who don't really haven't experienced the kinds of things others have experienced that have have deep pain or have had evil inflicted on them in uh, very intentional or accidental ways. Um, then that strongly says to those who are suffering, you are the cause for your suffering. You obviously aren't good with God, right? I mean, that's what, that's what happens in our culture. And that's mm-hmm. part of why we can turn a blind eye to those who suffer for the homeless, for the poor, for the marginalized, for the deported, for the, you know, all of that is because there's that little excuse clause, well, they must have deserved it, or, you know, they weren't living right. Um, so there must have been something that they did that caused this situation in their life. So I, I'm really glad you've mentioned this because this, um, if we don't face that, if we don't acknowledge that, then we can't really um, entertain the idea that there can be different theodicies uh, because we just, we just stuck with the one that, well, you know, us good people, we got it pretty easy <laughs> and you, you bad people ha- haven't. And so that's, that's actually a really good reason to be able to look at theodicies yeah. is to start to dismantle that and to say, well, the reason some people have suffering and some doesn't, some don't, isn't because God likes some people more than others, or God is judging some people and not others. So it's really, really important. But it's also really important that we make ourselves vulnerable and, and aware of the suffering that is perhaps right next door. You know, whether it's um, generational um, abuse that's been, that's been passed on from generation to generation of whatever kind, um, you know, whether it's, it's poverty that you can't see, whether it's substance addictions that um, people aren't aware of, but that cause all kinds of suffering physically and relationally, and that bring people to these places of complete despair. I think, you know, to be open to the real stories around us will help us to understand why talking about what is the source of suffering and evil and wh- where is God in it? It will make that very important. You know, looking at international situations and <clears throat> and letting our imagine, imagination take us into the situations of other people. I would say you... <laughs> Read young adult books that are, that are digging into the, the agony of the, those middle years of youth and the suffering that comes. But then on top of that, um, you know, authors who deal with issues of, of uh, gender bias and racial bias and sexism and, and let yourself, don't be afraid of trying to understand the suffering of others, I guess is, is where I would go mm-hmm. because that's, it's what makes us more human is being vulnerable to others.
3: We, we have Something. this, this hymn that we sing in community of Christ, let your heart be broken. Mm. And in some ways that, that could be an, an anthem for uh real Christian discipleship it is, it's about opening yourself to others and, I, I remember this story uh, an, an, an African woman who was from community of Christ was here for a world conference and she was staying with a, a family locally in a probably a fairly wealthy neighborhood, a you know, nice suburb. And she kept, you know, they, they would leave through the garage, drive off, go to conference, be with church people for a very long day. And back at night through the garage, use the garage door opener into the garage and she was noticing that all the yards were fenced and everything. And, and as I recall the story, she she asked her host how, with all these fences, how do you know what's happening to your neighbors? Notice the difference between uh, an African African village culture, for example, where you where you you okay. have to let your heart be broken because because you're right there with others, and and American suburban culture where we're insulated from each other, and um, so it's hard to, it's hard to know it's hard to know the misery and heartache that might be going on right next door. It's really hard to know. And also there's certain aspects of American culture, these parts of American culture where we've been taught to not reveal Mm. your, you know, keep secret your your suffering and struggle. Cause it's, I don't know. what You'll look weak, right? Whatever. And (laughs) well, you'll look
2: weak. You'll look like God isn't blessing you.
3: And that's, that's not the kind of love and vulnerability that, uh, the message of Jesus calls people to right mm-hmm. and so um uh, so it's that's just a it's a great observation Carla and and it, it also brings up for me as a theologian a point and that is that and I don't want you to take this wrongly as it applies to me too but people who have experienced privilege mm-hmm. in the culture uh have to be very careful when they start talking about theodicy as this intellectual issue. Right. Right. As if, as if we, as if we had anything to say about it, (laughs) Uh, we, you know, following up on Charmaine was saying, you need, we need, we need to read Holocaust survivor stories. We need to read stories and testimonies about racial abuse and injustice. We need to. First
2: nations, people's stories.
3: Absolutely. We need to immerse ourselves in the stories of others uh, so that we can feel with them as much as we possibly can. And then that, that then opens us to the suffering of others in a way that makes room for love. Um, mm-hmm. if, the, if, if the God we worship in Christian faith is a God who is love, then that God is vulnerable and open to suffering. And so to live in, to live in the love of Jesus Christ must require of us that we learn to live in openness and vulnerability to the suffering of others. That's part of the deal.
2: And just as a little practical thing, one of the things about learning some of these theodicies is that when people come to us in the midst of their suffering and whatever the source might be, that we can give them some other ways of knowing that God is with them. And that God has not deserted them or judged them or found them uh, untouchable. And so in a, in a very real way, we have some words and some constructs that allow us to say, you know, Jesus suffered. God didn't keep Jesus from suffering, but it doesn't mean that God didn't love Jesus and that Jesus didn't have an important role in the world. And that's true for you too. So I, you know, there's, there's the pastoral ways that it it can be helpful. I appreciate that very much. And,
1: um, Tony, what you were saying reminded me of, I, it's not a meme, but it's something that has gone around on Facebook and the internet. And it's like, don't let your mental exercise, um, cause another pain because it's, they're dealing with it personally. Don't like be like hustle. High my well, I can mentally discuss this intellectually because I can do that. And then it's deeply hurting someone else. That's really unfair. Yeah. Yeah. Really unfair.
3: Absolutely. It's, it's uh, using, using our our knowledge, or our intellectual, whatever, to abuse other people, right? Even or dismiss, or dismiss, dismiss that right? concern. So, absolutely,
1: yeah. uh Well, I am so grateful. Thank you so much for this um podcast, and I'm looking forward to the next couple of podcasts when we talk more about suffering. <laughs> is, that the weird, is that a weird thing to say? <laughs> really looking forward to talking about to talk more about suffering.
3: <laughs> and now, and now, Carla, you can say the word "Irenean" in public, and people will not say you. You should probably see a doctor about that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I feel like I have this Irenaean on me.
1: <laughs> um, I'm going to close us tonight today with our podcast. I just looked up this hymn, Let Your Heart Be Broken. I'm going to read the last verse. It's a good last verse. Cool. Let your heart be tender and your vision clear. See the world as God sees. Serve all far and near. Let your heart be broken by another's pain. Share your rich resources. Give and give again. Now, the, the last rhyme wasn't great, but. It, it, I, I'm really glad you brought that up, Tony, because like, I'm going to remember a lot of what you said, but you know, when I think about let your heart be broken, that's an The theodicy. I like it a lot. Cool. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And we will talk again soon.
0: Thanks for listening to Project Zion podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple podcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast streaming service you use, and while you are there, give us a five-star rating. Project Zion Podcast is sponsored by Latter-day Seeker Ministries of Community of Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Latter-day Seeker Ministries or Community of Christ. The music has been graciously provided by Dave Hines.